Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Friends, good morning. We are live. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here on this Sunday, November 12th of 2023. Welcome to this time of prayer and scripture reflection together. Let me just make sure I can see everything here. I can see your, uh, your comments. And uh, we're going to have some time of prayer and delving into some important scriptures and also some important commentary on what has been going on and what I mean is, um, I'm just checking the monitor here. Is everything looking sound okay? Yes, you can hear me. Um, what happened with Bishop Strickland, the announcement yesterday that uh, he has been uh, relieved of his responsibilities as Bishop of Tyler, Texas. The weaponization of the church uh, is continuing here. Uh, weaponization that we saw almost exactly a year ago in my case as well. But I was with Bishop Strickland for quite a while recently um, on some events that we were doing together, and uh, it was clear from, from him, and he said this publicly as well, he remains committed to serving the Lord in the work that the Lord gives him to do, and that's exactly the same thing with me, there's no need to uh, rebel against the church or leave the church or anything like that. We continue in the calling that God has given us, abiding, of course, by restrictions that are, are placed. But nevertheless, those restrictions don't keep us from proclaiming the word of the Lord. All of us proclaim the word of the Lord. And uh, in my case, my position of pro-life leadership with uh, Priests for Life. So there's Bishop Strickland, and uh, I'm going to say more about him as we... Uh, comment today. And secondly, as we do this live broadcast together, today is my 35th anniversary of ordination. And uh, people might say, oh, well, but if you're not a priest anymore, why would you celebrate the ordination anniversary of ordination? Because it's the anniversary of ordination. And, and that was a tremendous gift given which uh, God does not revoke when one becomes a priest. As so many of you have said to me uh, ever since this uh, happened, uh, you are a priest forever. And, and there's a change that occurs in a person when they receive the gift of a priesthood, just like a change occurs in you when you receive baptism and confirmation. You know, you can receive baptism and let's say, of course, we all sin every day, but when we repent of sin, we don't get rebaptized, right? We go to confession if we're Catholic and we, we, we get up again if we fall. We don't get rebaptized. Because the effect of baptism remains forever. Confirmation, same thing. We might reject the gifts of the Holy Spirit to our misfortune, but then we don't, don't get reconfirmed. You know what? Someone might even leave the faith. And they and some do. If they come back to the faith, they don't get rebaptized or reconfirmed or reordained. When the day comes, probably under the next pope, that they reinstate me to the priesthood, they're going to reordain me? Absolutely not. They would never reordain because the gift 
last. So I'm going to reflect. After we reflect on the scriptures, I want to tell you some stories about the early days of my priestly ministry in the parish uh, in New York. Uh, it was a really great, great experience ministering in that way. So let's get right away into the presence of the Lord. Let's look at the readings here, or some of the readings here, uh, and, uh, and delve into the meaning of this word, especially as it relates to our pro-life commitment. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we come to you with a great joy because Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life to light through His gospel. Life and immortality. He is life and His gospel is the gospel of life. And therefore, we are the people of life. We thank you for our commitment to life, defending it, defending it in, mo in, in its most vulnerable forms, Lord God. The children in the womb, the children in the earliest stages of their existence, the children who are so small that they can't live outside their, their mother's body yet, the children who are so young that they don't even understand the danger that they're in, the children who are so early in their development that they don't even know yet how to pray. Bless us, Father, in our commitment to defend them. Bless us on our commitment to worship you. Bless us in our commitment, Lord God, to continue repenting of sin each and every day. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep, so that you might not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose, so too will God, through Jesus, bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Indeed, we tell you this on the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself, with a word of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, will come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, console one another with this message. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a priest for these 35 years, and for the first five years especially when I did parish work in New York City, I did many funerals. This was one of my favorite readings to use at funerals because it's one of the clearest passages in Scripture that talks about our resurrection from the dead and the victory that Jesus has won over death, but that He shares with us. Every Sunday is like a little Easter Every day, in fact, we are celebrating the fact that Christ is risen. That's the foundation of our faith. But the big celebration, of course, during the year of His resurrection is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And I always say on Easter, we don't come to church simply to congratulate Jesus for rising from the dead. We come because He 
shares that victory with us. We come because we share the risen life of Christ. Now, that doesn't just mean we have it now spiritually, which we do. He who believes in me, Jesus said, has, present tense, has eternal life. Today, we have eternal life. That is the life of God that lasts eternally. And that is not only different in terms of how long it lasts, but different in, in, in what it is. It's the life of God Himself. It's above human life. But we have it now. That's the point. The fact that we have it now means that even though we die, we will rise. And this is what he's talking about here. Now, this is so many scriptures. We think of Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel was talking about God bringing the people back from exile. But it's also understood in a spiritual sense to refer to the resurrection where Ezekiel 37 says, I will open your graves and have you rise from them, O my people. Let's look at a few passages. Isaiah 25, one of my favorite prophetic passages. On this mountain, it says, The Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples a feast. He will, a feast of rich food, well-aged wine. On this mountain, He will remove the veil that veils all peoples, the web that is woven over all nations, he will destroy death forever. What a marvelous passage. Fulfilled. On the very day that Jesus died on the cross, remember there was an earthquake, and some people rose from the dead on Good Friday. Read the gospel carefully. In Matthew, there was an earthquake. Tombs opened, and people saw resurrected individuals in the city. A sign on Good Friday of the power of His death. John Paul II took that passage and other passages from Good Friday, like, This day you will be with me in paradise, and pointed out how on that cross the people of life are born. That's when the people of life are born, on Good Friday. I think of 1 Corinthians. Let, let, let Paul, again, in a very clear passage about the victory that we all have. See, when Paul of the Romans, first of all, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians, but Paul of the Romans says, Death has no more power over him, Christ. But remember, in Paul's mind, Christ is head of the body, the church, and we are the members. So if death has no more power over him, and you think of him in the full sense of the whole body of Christ, well, then he's saying death has no more power over us. But the resurrection of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, just like what we just read in, uh, in um, 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, is extremely explicit and strong. Paul responds to um, objections against the resurrection of the dead. And then he says... In the, the culmination of this long passage of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, let me pause there for a moment. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians to answer a particular question that arose. 
Because remember, after Jesus ascended into heaven and the apostles started proclaiming the gospel to all the nations, they, many of them thought, well, Jesus said he's coming back, and they had no idea that it would be thousands of years. They, they, they figured, you know, he might be coming back in a few months. He might be coming back in a, a handful of years. He might be coming back during our lifetime. So then they started asking, well, well, what does that mean for us as opposed to those who have died? So this is what Paul here in Thessalonians and also in 1 Corinthians is saying, look, don't worry. Everyone is going to be caught up in this resurrection. You're, going to have, you're not going to have an advantage or a disadvantage over those who have already died. So he's, he's calming their minds about that. Of course, Jesus said, you do not know the day or the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. So we still don't know the when. We don't have to know the when. We just have to be ready. Okay, so he continues. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Right? Some will be alive, obviously, when Christ comes back. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must be put on immortality. And then when that happens, will be fulfilled the saying of Scripture, Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sin? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice when he writes to the Thessalonians here, he says that when this resurrection happens, it will be with a word of command, and then he repeats in Thessalonians what's in Corinthians about the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet blast, but a word. Now that's very significant, isn't it? Because how did God create life in the first place? With His word. You know, for people who have difficulty imagining that there is life after death, well, there's already life after death. You're living it now. Where were you 500 years ago? Were you not dead 500 years ago? You've, you've already changed from death to life. Do you ever think about that? Where were you 500 years ago? Where were any of us? And yet here we are. Isn't the transition from nothingness into life, the life we undeniably have at this very moment, as wondrous as the idea of rising from the dead? As miraculous? We have transitioned already. I would say it's harder to believe that someone who didn't exist at all would come into existence than it is to think that they'll simply stay in existence once God brings them into being. Okay, so, but it's the Word that created us, right? God spoke and it came to be. And then how did He raise Lazarus from the dead? He didn't go in there in the tomb and inject his body with penicillin or some other wonder drug. He spoke a word. Lazarus, come out! Or when he raised the little girl, what did he do? He spoke to her. Talitha kum, little girl, I tell you, arise. 
He speaks a word. That's how God gives life. How does He absolve your sins in the sacrament of confession? The word. And then again, I reflect on this as a priest. All the confessions I've heard these last 35 years of priesthood, all the absolutions that I've given, it's a word. I absolve you from your sins. Not because I'm not a sinner too, but because Christ Jesus is working through us. And it's through a word. You know, and, and you know, in hearing confessions, and again, I'll tell you some stories after we finish reflecting on the scriptures, some stories from my, my priestly ministry, but I would spend so many days, hour upon hour upon hour, hearing confessions. We heard a lot of confessions in the parish where I was. Because we preached it, and we invited people to come. We went to confession ourselves. You go to confession yourself, you have a, an appreciation of it that then you want to share with the people. But in all those hours of hearing confessions, some of those sessions went for three hours at a time, I would be repenting along with the people. Because, you know, you, 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 you hear a person confessing their sins, you recognize sins of your own. And so as their confession is, it's a moment when you're celebrating the mercy of God. And so you kind of, you, you celebrate it together. You say, you're repenting of your sins, I'm repenting of mine. Let's go bo both go to the Lord of mercy and then through His gift of this sacrament, I'm going to bestow on you the mercy that comes from Him. But He does it by a word. He does it, baptizes by a word. I baptize you. It brings about the Eucharist by a word. In the Mass, we say, the Lord Jesus said, He said, this is my body given up for you. It's by words that God does miracles. So we will rise from the dead. Console one another, Paul says to the Thessalonians, with this message, this reality, that when we have to say farewell to a friend or a loved one who dies, that is a temporary farewell. It's okay to grieve. Paul warns here that we must not grieve. He doesn't say we must not grieve at all. Jesus wept. Look at John chapter 11, at the death of Lazarus, his friend. God Almighty, who was about to raise him from the dead, nevertheless wept. Why? Because that's a sign of our love as human beings. It affects us. Emotionally, we weep if we lose a friend or loved one. And that's not a denial of faith. That's simply an affirmation of our humanity. Jesus wept. And so Paul is saying, he's not, he's not saying here, don't grieve. We would have to turn into stones if we, if, we, if we were not to grieve. But what he says is, we do not grieve and we should not grieve like the rest. Who are the rest? Who have no hope. Why? Because they have no faith. The rest. Don't be like those who have no faith. Because then, yeah, you grieve with despair. But we grieve with hope. The hope of this message so clearly articulated here and in so many other scriptures that yes, death has been swallowed up in victory. We will rise. So brothers and sisters, uh, let me move on to a, a couple of stories about my priesthood. You know, I remember my first Mass, so I was ordained on November the 12th. 1988, 
And the next step, so that was the first actual mass I celebrated together with my classmates, together with Cardinal John O'Connor of New York, great pro-life advocate himself. The next day, I was at my home parish, and that was, it's called First Mass, it's technically your second mass, but it's the first mass you do yourself. And I remember, by the way, I delivered my own homily. Most priests are, they ask a, a friend or a mentor or a professor they had in seminary or somebody they look up to, they ask him to, to, to deliver the homily. I said, well, look, I've just been ordained to preach the Word of God. I want to preach. So I did give my own homily, went for a half hour. And, and I've kept up the tradition, by the way, of speaking for a long time because I believe if you're going to throw a feast, if you're going to throw a banquet, have a lot of food and let it be good food and let it be overflowing. And when I preach, I want it to be overflowing. And I observed that throughout my preaching. Of course, sometimes the limitations of time, okay, I'm not saying my Sunday homilies went a half hour. They'd go 20 minutes sometimes. But it's not like uh, you, you know, you're unaware of the constraints of time. But the point is that I, I rejoiced in the ministry of the Word. And when it came time for the, for the consecration of the host, the holy, holy, holy is being sung. I'm standing there. I see the host on the patent in front of me. And I said to myself, Am I going to survive the next few minutes? Because it was so overwhelming to think that through my words and my hands, that would become the body of Christ. That's our Catholic belief. And you know, sometimes I've reflected that it takes more faith to be on that side of the altar than on the other side in the congregation, in the pews. Because, okay, you're in the pews, you look up there and you say, okay, well, that's a priest. When he says, this is my body, it becomes the body of Christ. But when you are the priest saying those words, you're reflecting on the fact that, well, wait a minute, Here's I know, my, I know my voice. This is the voice that has so often offended God by bad things I've said. Uh, these are the hands that have committed various kinds of sins, and now God is using these same hands and this same voice to bring about this mighty miracle of salvation? You see how, in a sense, it takes more faith? You're aware of your own sinfulness. So many, so many things over the years. Uh, I remember the first baptism I ever did. Now, actually, I did that as a deacon. But I resolved that day that I would pray every day for all the babies that I ever baptized. And you know what I have here? I got some, these are just some, index cards. You see these index cards? One card for every baby that I baptized. I have the name, I have the names of the parents, the date of the baptism, the name of the baby. And the reason I have kept all these cards, these are baptisms I started doing 35 years ago. Um, I, remember, I remember these people. Uh, I keep these cards because I said to them, and on the day of the baptism I would give hand to parents a, a greeting card that I wrote. And I made a promise in that card, and, and I said, uh, I will be praying for this child whom I was privileged today to pour water over and know that the grace of God was pouring into them. I will pray for this child every day of my life. I've been praying for these babies that I baptized. And um, 
I have on these cards also first anniversary card sent, second anniversary card sent, third anniversary card sent for as long as I was in the parish. I would send them anniversary greetings on the anniversary of their baptism and continue to pray for them. Weddings. I don't know why some priests don't like weddings. I love doing weddings. Here's more index cards. Every single couple, and there are more where these came from, every single couple whose wedding I witnessed. And you notice the wording we use. We witnessed the wedding because the sacrament is actually conferred by husband and wife on each other. It requires the witness of the church. But I was privileged to perform these weddings. And I'll tell you, one of the things I loved about them, not just because you're, you're such a central part of the most important happy day of their life, but because you're welcoming at that moment to the church so many people who haven't been there in a long time. They're there because they know the couple and they want to honor them for their wedding. But many of them, and I suspect this is the reason some priests don't like weddings. Many of them, uh, it's the first time they've been in a Catholic church in years. So you know what I used to do? At the greeting line, after the ceremony, we'd go in the vestibule, the bride and groom would stand there, mom and dad, best man, maid of honor, and the people would come by, greeting each one of them. I would stand with them because I wanted to greet their guests too. And for some of them, it was the first time that they had ever shook the hand or spoken face-to-face -face with, a, with a priest. And I wanted them to feel right at home in that church. I wanted to give them the warmest welcome possible. I wanted to thank them for being there. I wanted to tell them, this church is your church. And that's what I did tell them. I would tell them, by the way, while the, while the ceremony was going on, you know, of course, they had the photographer, they had the videographer. You know what I would say to the videographer? I'd say, don't turn off the camera. When it comes time for the, my remarks at the homily, he says, I want you to videotape the homily. Because when this couple watches this, this film again in years to come on their anniversary, I want them to see, and I would look right into the camera and I would say, Mary and John, or whatever their names were, you're going to see this. When you've been married for 25 years, please God, when you've been married for 50 years, and I want you to know something. The reason this is a sacrament, sacramentum, is an oath. You're not the only one making vows today. God is making a vow. And to all of you who are married, I say this right now, God made a vow that all the grace you would need, all the help you would need to be faithful and happy in your marriage for as many years as God gives it to you will be there for the asking each and every day of your life, no matter how long you live. Rely on that grace. Trust in that promise. Take God's word of His oath and take His hand and have Him help you to be faithful. Marriages, weddings, funerals. Oh, there's a lot of funny stories about funerals. I mean, not that it's funny, but I would, I would uh, hear confessions at the funeral home. So, you know, you go the night before to the wake, say the prayers. And I said to the people, you know, one of the best ways that you are um, participating in, in commending your loved one or your friend to the Lord is to participate tomorrow in the Mass that we will have. And we want to be able to give you communion when we do that Mass. And some of you might not be ready, honestly, because, you know, maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. But I want to, I want to invite you tonight to prepare 
to really celebrate tomorrow in the fullest way this, this commending of your loved one to the Lord by taking part in communion. So to help you to do that, I'm going to go downstairs and I, I'm going to be available for confessions. So I'd go down there, they'd give me a room to sit in. Sometimes they gave me the room where all the caskets were. You know, it's kind of a, a, an interesting setting to hear confessions, sort of an incentive to repentance. You know, look at these, look at all these caskets. But the point is that the pe people would come down. It would take a while for the first, first brave soul to come down there. And uh, they would come, and uh, then they'd go back upstairs, and uh, they'd give the thumbs up to the rest of the people. Say, oh, yeah, he's a nice priest. Go, go, go while you have the chance. And then uh, usually, like I say, it would take a while. The first person would come. And then after that, a whole bunch of other people would come. Very often, we, we shut down the, the funeral parlor that night. We were the last ones to leave. They were shutting off the lights because we heard so many confessions. What a beautiful opportunity these moments bring to welcome people back to the faith. I always kept a pen and a paper in my pocket and uh, because I would stand outside. You know, let me, let, me, let, me, let me preface this with saying this. We had about eight masses. I was in a very busy parish. We had about 3,000 families. St. Charles Parish in Staten Island. I would go to every mass be there for distributing communion, be there for greeting the people after the Mass. Now, one, one weekend we had some religious sister visiting to give some remarks after communion. We would sometimes bring in, bring in guests, not often, but once in a while, bring in guests um, to, to speak about their own ministry, share it with our parishioners. And, you know, you can't be, you can't be, be so narrow-minded that you only focus on what's going on in your parish. You've got to open up your parish to all the different works going on in the church. And, of course... Over the last 30 years of my heading up Priests for Life, so many priests have welcomed me in for that very same reason, and I'm grateful, um, grateful for them uh, opening their parish to me to bring the pro-life message. So I, uh, I, 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 I was talking to this, uh, this sister uh, during communion time uh, in the back of the church, or after communion, rather, as we were getting ready to go outside, and greet the people, and she said, uh, "Oh, she said, uh, well, you didn't have this. You didn't have this mass. You weren't the celebrant. How come you you came uh, out here?" So it was like, "Wait a minute. I'm not here with the people just because I'm the celebrant of the mass. I'm here with the people because the family is gathering. Why wouldn't the one who's called father, the spiritual father of the family?" Be with them and want to be with them. You think it was like a, a oh, it's like a duty. Oh, I got to go over to another mass, another mass. What do you mean? I would run over there. You want to be together with the people. And I loved being together with them. I'd go out on the, on, the, on the plaza, greet as many of them as I possibly could. And I'd have a pen and paper in my pocket. So we didn't have the iPhones back then. This was in the late 80s, early 90s. We didn't have the iPhones. I would take down on a lot of a little piece of paper the, the needs that somebody had. I need to make an appointment. I want to come talk with you. Okay, let me take down your name and number. Come by on Wednesday. And, you know, we would make appointments and so forth. Um, ministry is not just giving the giving them the body of Christ, you know. It's it's that it's that connecting with them, they're being available. 
That's what we were with confessions, too. I told you before, we, we had long, long lines for confession. You know why? Because we invited the people to come and then we made it available. Oh, so many parishes, even if they talk about confession, if you don't make it available, how are the people going to come? I remember we, we would have confessions before the Masses uh, and even after the Masses on, on Saturdays. But we also had a Sunday evening Mass at 5.30. So I said to the people one Sunday night uh, where I was preaching about confession, I said, you know, you have to go and you have to go for, uh, faithfully, frequently. And then I said, as a matter of fact, I says, I'm going to jump into the confessional right after this Mass. And when I did, oh my goodness. It went on for a couple of hours. The other priests were there, had to jump in their confessionals too. You invite. You urge. And you tell people to follow your example. And to make it clear to them, you as a priest, go to confession too. The support from the people was always amazing, always strong, always encouraging. You know, it's encouraging when priests hear a little word. Oh, thank you, Father, that homily helped me today. You keep preaching that word. Keep telling the truth. Give that encouragement to your priests. We need to hear that. And one final story, you know, I was preaching all the time about abortion. Is from day one of my priesthood. This was key element of my vocation. And I remember in the parish, and this shows the importance of having a, a supportive pastor. A pastor one Sunday uh, got up in the pulpit at all the masses and he said, you know, I have heard a couple of uh, complaints in this church of too much talking about abortion. He says, well, I want you to know that's a key teaching of our church. And if you come here, uh, that's, you're, you're, you're going to hear that. So he was backing me up in a strong way. But what I did myself one time, I had gotten a letter during the course of the week complaining about one of my homilies on abortion. The letter, I could have responded to the letter, I would have responded to the letter, but it was anonymous. Cowards that they were that wrote the letter. You, got, you have something to say? Why can't you tell me who you are? So it was an anonymous note, very angry, just talking about abortion. So what did I do? I took the letter into the pulpit the following Sunday. And I said to the people, now I got this letter here of somebody complaining that I talk too much about abortion. I wasn't going to talk about abortion today, but being I got this letter and they didn't sign it, I have to tell you all about it so that I could respond to whoever it was. So it kind of backfired on them. But brothers and sisters, this is the determination we've got to have. Paul says it to us in the Word. Preach the Word, whether convenient or inconvenient, welcome or unwelcome, in season and out of season, preach the Word. You know who preaches the Word in season and out of season? Bishop Joseph Strickland. Yesterday, I was in the midst of a busy weekend of... Uh, work up and down the coast of Florida. It was, it was, it was a fantastic weekend. I got, the, I got word about Bishop Strickland in my morning. I'll tell you about what I did the last couple of days in a moment. But there I was having breakfast with a pro-life activist down in Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, he says to me, oh, the news just came out about Bishop Strickland. And the Pope, and we had had rumblings about that this might happen. And uh, we know that they did what's called a visitation, you know, where officials come in the name of the Vatican and look at, look at what you're doing in your ministry. 
Nobody knows about any specific complaints against the way that Bishop Strickland was managing the diocese. Nothing specific has come out. They didn't even give a reason for what they did, but what they did was to say he couldn't be the bishop of the diocese anymore. So in other words, they, 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 it's like a forcing retirement. You know, now you're, you're, not, you're no longer the one in charge of that diocese, and they put another bishop uh, in, in his place. So the question is, why? Of course, we know and we don't know. They don't, they don't tell us the reason. And that's one of my objections. And when I did first my first posting about this, I said, come on, this is a pattern. Have some respect for the people who are impacted by these decisions. It's not just Bishop Strickland or the people of um, the Diocese of Tyler. It's all of us who gain inspiration from the example of a bishop who teaches so clearly and courageously. We deserve an explanation. You want to take the technical legalistic approach. I don't technically need to give you a, a, a reason. Give me a break then. You don't have to give me a reason. Give me a break. Stop being so high and mighty and exalted and disconnected from the people you claim to serve. For goodness sake, give us a reason. And the likely explanation for them not giving a reason is that they'd be ashamed of the reason. Here you have a bishop that wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, hesitant to defend others, including myself, when we were unjustly treated by the same church authority. He spoke up for us. He was un unafraid to go out into the public square and is unafraid when you had that blasphemy out in uh, Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles with the, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence appearing at a Dodgers game. He, he led a, a, a protest march, a prayerful march with a lot of faithful Catholics and other Christians. Where were the other, where, where, where were the other bishops? So you see, he, without saying so, was a pricking of their conscience, He's kind of an embarrassment. Like if he's doing so much, and people would say this, if he's doing so much, it raises the question, where are the other bishops? Uh, it's kind of the same dynamic with me, what, uh, what I've been doing the last 30 years. People say, uh, oh, he's, he's embarrassing the other priests because he's saying and doing so much. Shouldn't they be saying and doing? And that's not to say that there aren't many, many priests doing and saying a lot. You know that as well as I do, and we are grateful for that. That's what we're trying to accomplish, get more of us to say and do these things. But Bishop Strickland stood out among the bishops and stands out, being outspoken against the evils of our time, being outspoken also against the Biden administration. Wake up there, Joe, sleepy Joe, wake up. What a scandal that this man claims to be a practicing Catholic and, and, and is not just tolerating abortion, but pushing it. Pushing and pushing and pushing that there would be a nationwide abortion without limits kind of law. This is the kind of Catholic sitting in the White House. Well, Bishop Strickland has not been afraid to criticize the Biden administration. Each and every one of us needs to be explicitly calling them to account. Every one of us. Apparently, we've got authorities in the church and I'm not just talking about the Vatican, I'm talking about other bishops, and they know who they are, that want to silence these kind of voices. They want to make the, 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 the whole group of bishops into this milk toast, 
squeamish, wimpy, oh, I don't want to cause any controversy for anybody. You know what? We've had enough of that. And that's why this action is at the same time disturbing and yet not totally surprising. A pattern has now developed that we have a weaponized church, just like we have a weaponized government in the United States. We have a weaponized church where the processes of church government are abused. And how do we, what is a weaponized government? You, you saw the, the movie Police State, I hope, policestatefilm.net, check it out. Talks about like our friend Mark Houck, who we're going to honor at the prayer service in January on the day of the March for Life, the prayer service that I run in the morning at Constitution Hall. Come to it because Mark Houck is going to be there. This is the guy, peaceful pro-life activist whose home was raided by the FBI. He was found innocent of any charges, but, but this shows the, the mindset of the police state. If they don't like what you stand for, they come and attack you. So we're going to honor Mark Houck. Guess who else we're going to honor at that prayer service? Bishop Strickland. He's going to be there. I want you to be there too. Day of the March for Life, Washington, D.C., Constitution Hall. Even if you don't come for the March for Life, come to the prayer service. And we're going to honor him. Sister Dee Dee is going to be there. And also Mark Lee Dixon, another pro-life leader who does the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn. The point I'm making here is that with weaponized government, instead of going after a crime and looking for the person who did it, that's the way a justice system is supposed to work. You have a clear evidence of a crime, then you go find out who did it and you punish them. What a weaponized state and a weaponized church does is they turn that upside down. And they go after a person they don't like and then try to find a, 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 treat them as if they committed a crime or try to fabricate some kind of crime that they committed. This is what they're doing to President Trump. This is what they're doing to me, Bishop Strickland, and many others. Mark Houck. It's a weaponized police state. And sad to say, we now have a weaponized police church. What do we do as a result? Do we attack the church? Do we leave the church? No. We bear witness to what the church teaches. That's what we do. It's really simple. You just stay the course. But you say, you do it publicly. You stay the course and you double your efforts to impart the faith as it has been received, not as it has been distorted by some, not as it has been ignored by some who are afraid to speak. The way you deal with this is that if there's people who have, been, who have been silent themselves or who try to silence the rest of us who speak loudly, the way you help and the way you respond to this is to speak more loudly yourself. Spread the faith. Spread the pro-life message. Teach it to your children even better than you have been doing it already. Use social media as many of you are doing. That's how you're watching me right now. Use every avenue that you can. Stand with those who are faithful. Support ministries like mine, Priests for Life. Stand up and speak up for, for people like Bishop Strickland. That's how we do it. We don't leave the church. Now, some of you are not part of the Catholic Church. Okay, you're following Jesus too. We follow him more strongly. We, we go to more events. We pray at the abortion facilities. We go to public faith gatherings. We just amplify our voices. The whole effort here on the part of those who weaponize both the church and the state is to silence 
pro-life, conservative, faithful voices. So what's the antidote to that? The antidote to silence is speaking. Let your voice be louder than ever before. I've gone on a long time here today. Thank you for the prayers and and good wishes for a happy anniversary. Uh, Look for an email that will be coming to you today from us about Bishop Strickland. And there's a special website, standwithbishopstrickland.org, where you're going to be able to show your support for him and, 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 and offer what we call a spiritual bouquet. You know, I'll offer prayers for you. I'll offer, uh, if you're Catholic, you know, offer rosaries, masses, or other kinds of prayer and fasting that all Christians can do. Friends, uh, that's the website, standwithbishopstrickland.org. But I'll be uh, emailing you about this. If you don't get our emails, go to our main website, endabortion.us. Endabortion.us, and you'll see where you can sign up for the emails. But this is so great to be with you live uh, on this Lord's Day. And remember, death has been conquered. And let's pray now to the Lord who has conquered it. Uh, Oh, and I was going to tell you also what I did. Um, Friday, I had a great day. I started out here in the morning. And I'll be telling you this on my daily diary. I went to Stewart, Florida, about an hour south of here. CareNet Pregnancy Center. Visited with them, encouraged their staff. From there, I went to Newsmax headquarters in Boca Raton. I uh, did a live interview there, talking about the Ohio situation and other things like that. From Boca Raton, I went down to Fort Lauderdale. D. James Kennedy Ministries, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, sat down with the pastor. We had a meeting, and then I went on his podcast. Then from there, I went back up to Palm Beach, got together with uh, pro-life leader Willie Guardiola, stayed with him had dinner together, and then the next day we did a prayer vigil at a, at a Planned Parenthood. And then from there I drove down to Miami and got together with some parish representatives there for the Archdiocese of Miami, some parish pro-life reps. We had a little informal dinner together, and we were strategizing. I was giving them some guidance and some help and some encouragement. This is how the work advances. Uh, and then I drove back late last night so I could be here in time to do this broadcast with you this morning. Um, The work continues. Let's let our prayers continue now. And uh, thanks for your support, too. You make this work possible. Father, thank you uh, for for the victory we have over death in Jesus Christ. And we also, Lord, have the victory over silence. We have a victory over falsehood. We have a victory over cowardice. Because as St. Paul writes to Timothy, the spirit God has given us is no cowardly spirit, but one of boldness. Lord, we see that boldness in Bishop Strickland and so many others. Leaders who, unfortunately, as they are bold and faithful in proclaiming your word, are told to shut up. Lord God, we will not be silent. No, we will not be silent. Because silence, Lord God, is not something that you command us to do. It's something that the enemies of your word command us to do. We will speak your word. We will speak it with all compassion, with gentleness, with love, with fidelity to the church and the message that's been handed on. But Lord God, there's no room for cowardice. We chase cowardice away. We chase it away today. Give us the grace to continue to do so. We pray now as Jesus taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Let's pray to our Heavenly Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Thanks, friends. Thank you so much. Let's continue supporting one another, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much, and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.